Here we are again. It's episode 344 of the AMPM podcast. My guest this week is none other than Emma Shermer Tamir. Emma is a copywriter, one of the best in the business for Amazon sellers. And we're going to be talking about the psychology of writing good copy, what it takes to actually write good copy that's going to convince people to buy, and how AI is affecting what she does. And don't forget this summer, I'm debuting the Billion Dollar Sellers newsletter. It's 100% free for listeners of this podcast. So be sure to go to BillionDollarSellers.com and put in your email address and name to get on the beta list so you can be one of the first to get this brand new newsletter. It's going to be chock full of advice and tips and strategies and hacks for e-com and Amazon sellers. BillionDollarSellers.com. Welcome to the AMPM Podcast. Welcome to the AMPM Podcast. We explore opportunities in e-commerce. We dream big and we discover what's working right now. Plus, plus, this is the podcast where money never sleeps. Working around the clock in the AM and the PM. Are you ready for today's episode? I said, I said are, are you, you ready? Ready. Let's do this. Let's do this. Here's your host, Here's your host Kevin King. Kevin King. This week, my guest is none other than the famous, or some may say infamous, Emma Shermer Tamir. How are you doing, Emma? It's so good to see you. What's it been? A, just a few hours since we saw each other, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kevin. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. I'm not sure what I'm infamous for. I think I need to go <laughs> search myself on Google after this. Well, you're infamous <laughs> for because you're a, a master wordsmith, so you're infamous for taking other people down. Uh, you know, oh. you, you're, you're like you're you're infamous because people are like that's the person who caused my competition to jump me and outsell me and you're the one that killed my business because I was doing so good until you came in and redid the listings. That's why you'd be infamous. Okay. Well, thanks for explaining that. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for those of you that don't know, I mean, you're, you're not a seller uh, in the Amazon space, but you've come to this space. You're one of the, like I said, the master copywriters. You're the, the person behind the scenes helping people create their listings, whether it be write their bullet points or their title, research some keywords or do their A+. That's what uh, your company, uh, Marketing by Emma, is known for, right? Yeah, that's what we've been doing since uh, 2016. So we've been in the space for a while. We've seen it evolve many times. And I think now we're in the midst of the largest shift that I've seen. I mean, not just in Amazon, but just with everything. Uh, so it's definitely uh, been a, a wild ride and eager to see what what awaits next. But yeah, we, you know, Amazon back in the day, it sort of didn't matter what you wrote. And it, you could be successful just by choosing the right product and having even a mediocre keyword strategy. But as the platform became more sophisticated as the customer evolved and as competition grew, so did the strategies necessary to be able to stand out, to get people excited to buy your products and to really be successful uh, on the Amazon marketplace. And so we've kind of been by seller's side on that journey and helping them figure out what's the best way to be able to uh, achieve the success that they're looking for when selling online. What's your background in this? So you started 
in 2016, were you in journalism or what was your background? Were you writing copy for some other company? What was your background before this? Yeah, so I've always been a strong writer. I did study journalism for a period of time, but I'm also somebody that is uh, very curious. And so I didn't get a degree in journalism. I actually got a degree in political science and Spanish. And as I, even before I graduated college, I pretty much every job I got into, my bosses would discover, oh, she knows how to use her words. Hey, do you want to help out with this newsletter or this blog? And so at first it was just kind of extra tasks that I was taking on. But as I began to navigate post-college world and figure out what I wanted to do with my life, I, I kind of just gravitationally fell into marketing. And so I did a lot of content marketing and copywriting and really just learning all of the basics of what it takes to develop a brand voice, to be clear about who your customer avatar is, and to utilize language in order to be able to create connections and get people uh, to buy your product, but also to stay customers long-term. So I've done that for fine dining. I've done that with um, software. And then I slowly started to dip my toes more into the freelancing world and uh I guess, idea of my husband and business partner, Ares, we started to kind of hone in more specifically on the Amazon space. And so that's when we started entering that world and, and haven't haven't left it since. Ares is always selling. Her husband, Ares, every time I see him at an event, a uh, really nice guy, really great guy, but he's always, always selling. I'm always uh, giving him a hard time. Like, dude, you're always selling something. He's like, yep, that's right. That's how that's how you get ahead. Um, so no, it's a, that's a great partner to have um, to be. I mean, what's it like, though, working? How do you how do you guys get any kind of quality time or how do you separate business plus work or in work? Because if you if you're working together, you're talking throughout the day about different things. And then at night, something about business related could come up. Or do you have rules like, OK, after a certain time or when we're watching a movie, there's no business talk or Fridays are our day off or or anything like that to try to balance between the two? You know, I would say there are some nice ideas of rules, but also, as I'm sure anybody in business knows, unexpected things always happen. So what is it like working with your partner? I would say, first of all, it's not for everyone. I can't think of anybody else that I would rather be in business with, but it is also incredibly challenging and definitely tests our relationship and puts all sorts of pressures on it that can make things really difficult at times. But I think, first of all, one of the biggest game changers for us was in the very early days, it was just him and I. So he was doing sales and interacting with clients and I was doing the work. And so there were a lot of points where we needed to interact directly about a client or about a project. And that was not sustainable. So when we hired somebody to sort of be that middle person that he could go to with questions or I could go to with other things, then it made a huge difference so that our conversations shifted to being more about big picture or strategy or solving more complicated problems instead of all those little day-to-day things that can be sort of irritating for lack of a better word. Uh, As far as creating boundaries of work time and non-work time, 
I'm much better at that, but I also have the benefit of not being the salesperson. So my phone isn't always message, you know, getting messages or calls from all over the world any time of the day. And so for me, I really need to be able to unplug and take a step back for work. But I think Ares is also just that always on kind of person. And so I've tried to establish rules of, you know, on the weekends, no work talk, in the evenings, no work talk, but things also happen. So for us, I think the biggest game changer has been we relocated to Las Vegas about a year ago. And one of the intentions really being to begin to also prioritize our lives as individuals. And so being able to get out of the house and do different activities both together and individually has made a massive difference with all of that. Yeah, you came from a little small college town in uh, Missouri, right, to the, the, to the bright lights of Las Vegas. That's a, that's a big, big shift, but I know Aries is loving it. He's like, best thing ever. I feel like I just escaped uh, jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, people ask him, so you think you'll stay? And he just looks at them like, I'm never going back to Missouri. Uh, But I've actually surprised myself and really fallen in love with this place too. The first time he suggested, hey, let's move to Vegas, I was like, absolutely not. No way. I never want to live in Vegas. What are you thinking? Are you crazy? But it's... um, it's a really awesome place to live, and I... Yeah, a lot I of people think of it as just the strip or just the gambling, but there's a whole city of two-plus million people outside of that, and there's a ton to do there. Not only do you have all the big entertainment acts and, and anybody who's anybody coming through town, you have all the almost all the conventions at some point are coming through there, so you don't have to travel as much, and it's easy for you to go to some probably cool different things that you just never would or wouldn't make financial sense to. Or you can just hop in for a few hours, you know, uh, which you couldn't do uh, if you were flying in, having to spend all that time. And then there's tons of, of natural beauty around Las Vegas. I mean, all the national, there's national parks. And within a half a day's driving distance, you can go down to the Grand Canyon all the way up into Utah. And there's tons of stuff just right outside Vegas. That a lot of people don't realize it's there. They just think of it as the casinos. And they don't understand why would someone want to live there if you're not working with the casinos. But now you and I met, I think it was in uh, New York at ASGTG. I remember, was it like 20, I think about 2019, I guess. And I remember I was sitting there just listening to whoever was speaking. And uh, this this little girl comes up and sits and kind of squats next to me and says, Hi, I just want to introduce myself. Uh, My name's Emma. Um, and uh, is there anything I can do for you? Uh, like, no, I, I'm good. Uh, nice to meet you. And we just, you know, exchange pleasantries and uh, information. And then I remember you must have been on my list or something. Um, and you got a promotional offer for the Billion Dollar Seller Summit, like an email. And you, you sent me a message back, said, hi, Kevin, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm paraphrasing here, but pleasure to meet you in, uh, in New York. And this copy in this uh, message, could, maybe it was Eris doing this. Maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was Eris. No, but, this was, this was okay, me. Okay, it, it was you. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's a salesman. Or, okay. It, it was you. All right. And it's like, this copy, you know, you could, this is not, is, you're polite about it, but you're basically saying, hey, you can write this shit better. Uh, all right. And she's so like, I'll do it for free uh, just to show you. And I'm like, all right, sure. Why not? And then, so you rewrote it. And then I, I resent that marketing message out and the sales went in half. Uh, and I was like, what? No, I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but you, you wrote it. Heard it here first, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, never, ever again. Um, <laughs> that was it. You just killed me. Um, 
No, but no, actually, it, it was really good. Uh, and, and then we ended up hiring you to write some of the stuff for uh, a couple of our other companies that we, we started during the pandemic. And that, that, was, uh, that was great as well. What are you finding when, it, when someone, a client approaches you about writing? Maybe they've already written their listing. What are some of the things that you're like, oh, my God, uh, we got to clean this up? What, what are some big mistakes that a lot of people make, whether it's in their title or their bullet points or that you're constantly just seeing and like, ah, this is an amateur. Um, here we go again. What, what are a few things that people need to be aware of that they maybe they think it's great and awesome, but it, it really isn't? Yeah. So I think the biggest mistakes actually happen before you ever put a word to down. You know, if you're writing in a in a document or whatever, before you type even a word, what you do as far as researching and thinking strategically about how to, to position your product product are some of the biggest things that are going to impact how your listing actually performs. You know, when you're thinking about Amazon, it's very unique compared to your own website or a lot of other types of funnels where you kind of control the journey of the customer and you control what they're looking at. Whereas on Amazon, the customer is overloaded with options of what to choose. And so you need to be really aware of how you fit into that whole uh, competitive landscape in order to be able to gain any traction at all. And so one of the biggest things that I see is uh, trying to go too broad, too generic, and copying what the top competitor is doing. And especially if you're thinking about you know, just launching a product that has no reviews, no brand recognition, nothing at all, if you're copying exactly what your top competitor is doing, who has 5,000 reviews, 10,000 reviews, you know, whatever it is, why would a customer choose you over the one that is, has all of that social proof that's showing that this is a, a great product already? And so that's, that can look like a lot of different things. It can look like actually just the product uh, page being very, very similar, But another piece of that is just not having a clear sense of why customers should choose you over someone else. And and so if you're just kind of giving me very generic, basic language that's talking about, you know, that I could easily copy and paste onto any other product that's the exact same thing, then you're not going to win, win over the customers that you're hoping to. So that's one of the things that I am really looking for and that I'm most critical about when I am taking a look at a listing. As far as some of the other kind of quick things, um, I'm just still surprised. Everybody knows that customers are visual, but the amount of times that I open a listing and their images are garbage, they are, you know, there's no, nothing, no lifestyle, uh, too much text, no text, all of those things to me are some of the easiest, quickest wins that you can have. Uh, and what I've been really encouraging people to do, both clients and then just when I'm talking about this topic, is really thinking about your product images almost like uh, social media 
So like, you know, if you're putting together a carousel on Instagram and thinking about what's the story that you want to take people through with your product images so that they're getting everything that they need to know about your product without even having to look at any other part of your listing. And it's not just because that's why how uh, customers are consuming information, but when you're on mobile, oftentimes when you're scrolling through that you have the product images at the top and then you scroll down a little bit and you have the full gallery of product images before you even get to the A plus content or the bullets or anything else. So these take up a massive amount of real estate and really failing to maximize that space you have to uh, create a sales opportunity is just a a huge uh, loss on, on a seller's part. I mean, a lot of people, there's, there's this debate out there and people say, what does it matter how well written it is? Because you see listings that are in, you know, broken English that have lots of reviews and their BSR is top 100. Uh, or, and they have, in some cases, even cruddy pictures, maybe because they have no competition or it's a brand name or something. Uh, but a lot of people say the bullet points and the description and all that doesn't really matter. That's just there. Nobody reads that stuff. Um, everybody's just looking at the pictures and making it in the price and making a decision. What would you say to that? Um, do what's your thoughts on that? Do people actually read that or they only read it if it's a technical item and they just need to know something or how, I mean, a lot of people put a lot of effort into that, but does it really matter on Amazon? Answer, on Amazon? Yeah. So one of the things that I always think about when people say this is, Okay, let's say that, yes, you're super successful. Maybe you're converting 35% in a really uh, like highly competitive um, category and your listing is garbage. So why would you invest the time to to make it better? You're already selling. How much more could you be converting if you did take the time to really develop out a strong listing? And what I've seen happen a lot is people that got into the Amazon space early who were able to have that uh, first mover's advantage. They got tons and tons of reviews. They sat in the number one spot in their category for years. And then they start coming up to us a year ago, two years ago, three years ago saying, I don't know what's going on. I haven't changed anything. But all of a sudden, these new sellers are coming in and they're uh, unseating me and I'm losing market share. And so I think that it's, if you have the opportunity to be able to put your very best foot forward, why would you not do that? So if I'm going to a a trade show and I'm a salesperson, I could go and I could be a great salesperson, but if I'm looking kind of sloppy and if I'm you know, I smell like the club from last night and I'm like just not at my peak. Yeah, I can sell. But how much better would I sell if I got a good night's sleep? I put on a great outfit. I'm I'm really focused. I'm clear about what I'm doing. And so I know you then. So that's one piece. Then you, there's this other piece of do people actually read? There are so many different types of customers out there. So there are there are definitely customers who are not going to read. There are customers that are just going to see, you know, the one with the top reviews or the cheapest and they're going to buy that. And that's just, that's just how they make their purchasing decisions. But it's a real loss to only sell to those people. There are also lots of people who drive themselves crazy 
researching to find the best product. And so if you have an opportunity to impress those people, those people that are super thorough are also probably the ones that really make sure that they're buying the product that's going to be the best fit. So they could be a really good customer for you. They might be the ones that are going to, you know, tell all their friends about you. And so every opportunity, you know, make the most of it, make sure that you are, are able to really connect with a whole variety of shoppers. So you have those visual shoppers. You have the ones that are highly analytical and are going to be reading things. You have also a combination. You know, it's not that we all follow the exact same buying uh, habits for every single type of product, whether it's because it's something that we're more interested in or maybe we need it for work or we're buying it for someone else. And so um, that that's my long answer to uh, probably one of the most common questions that that we get asked. So if, so if someone's creating the images and they need to emphasize the main points of their product and emphasis, you're probably going to be writing those in the bullets or most likely covering some level of that in the bullet. So what's a good way to actually take it from that copy that you've just written and actually incorporate it into the image stack where you know a lot of people are making decisions by just scrolling through that? Because in the bullets, you can be a lot more verbose in the in the images, you need to cut that to the chase and make sure that, like you said, it's on a mobile, it's not tiny print and they're having to enlarge it to read it and stuff. What are some techniques or strategies that you can advise on, on taking the, that message that's in your beautiful copy and actually conveying it in the image? Should it just be create an image based on that bullet point that explains it in the, you know, an image is a thousand words or should you take bits and pieces or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so we definitely, all of the most important things, we don't just want to reinforce between the bullets and the images. We actually want to reinforce those through the A-plus as well. So every piece of the listing, if there's something really important, we want we want reference to it in all, all of those places. How you actually uh, engage around that topic might uh, sort of, be impacted by the specific part of the listing that you are speaking or writing for. So for example, as you mentioned, the bullets can be a bit more technical. What we like to do with the images, on the other hand, is really lean into more of that emotionally engaging or thought-provoking or curiosity-building language to grab people's attention because it's not just about giving them the basic information they need. It's wanting to pull them in and make them keep learning to either get their questions answered or to, you know, get enough of the reassurance and enthusiasm that this is the right product and go ahead and add to cart. So we don't try to cover everything in the photos, but giving the highlights of what are those need to know things, how can we uh, present that in a way that's going to be, uh, you know, make, make me curious, make me want this product. I think a lot of people misunderstand or misinterpret this too when they're when they're trying to create their own copy or their own marketing stuff is what's what's the difference between features and benefits? So a feature is this product does this thing or has this uh, component of it, you know, so the material that it's made of, um, the practices around how you make that material or the basic functionality of what it does 
all of the, they're essentially the facts of the product. The benefits are how those facts of the product relate to the needs and wants of the customer. So you've probably heard if you've consumed even a little bit of information about marketing that people don't buy things they buy, you know, they buy the solution to the problem or the aspirational um, thing that they're after. And so we're emotional creatures. As much as we like to tell ourselves that we're rational, we are not. Uh, you can read all sorts of psychology and statistical books talking about the ridiculous ways that we make totally irrational decisions all the time. But it's Knowing that and being aware of that is really going to give you an advantage when you're thinking about how to position your product. And so when we're, when we're talking about benefits, the way that you can find that is you take a feature and you say, why does this matter to the customer? So if we go back to this idea of a portable uh, and professional microphone, so it's portable, but it has really uh, high quality uh, audio capabilities. Why would somebody care about that? So you could say, okay, well, they want to produce a good sounding podcast no matter where they are in the world. Like produce studio quality podcasts yeah. no matter where, where, where you are. Yeah. Yes. But I would argue that's not really the full benefit. That's like an intermediary benefit. That's good. That's something that you would want to talk about but you can go even deeper than that. Why would it matter to somebody to, uh, to be able to produce a high quality, professional sounding podcast from anywhere in the world? Well, maybe it's because they, they are dreaming of uh, financial freedom or they aspire to uh, really being able to be seen as uh, successful and it's going to make them feel more confident. And so there are all of these really sort of sensitive, emotional undercurrents beneath all of that. And you don't always have to speak directly to those things because Sometimes that can be a bit off-putting, but having that awareness can allow you to be able to create way more engaging copy that's going to pull at some of those uh, emotional levers beyond just the sort of surface level, um, more generic sounding copy. What are some of the products that are, when clients come to you, like, Oh my God, how am I going to write about this one? Is there a category that you're like, oh, this is so yeah. tough. And there's, and on the flip side of that, is there a category like, oh man, this is, I got, this is easy. Uh, well, you know, yes, there are a lot of categories that are just really complicated to sell on Amazon because of Amazon's rules around them. So anything in the adult uh, category space is quite challenging. Uh, anything that's more on the sustainability side can be really tricky. Anything that's in um, supplements, really anything that's consumed or uh, topical also runs into a lot of things, not just challenges with Amazon, but you also then have to be aware of FDA compliance. So there are a lot of different things to have to navigate when you're writing for categories like that. And that's why it's really important to 
make sure that you understand the rules on and off Amazon for the category that you're selling in. Because sometimes you can unknowingly get yourself into trouble uh, because you there was just a blind spot and and it can really create a lot of challenge and be expensive and, and things like that. So as far as easy things, I suppose things that are more straightforward on the one hand can be easier, but on the other hand, then they give you less sort of things to really write about, you know? So if you're, if you have a pencil, people aren't really innovating in pencils much anymore to my knowledge. So yeah, you might not have to worry about some of those uh, rules and how to work your way around them, but you're also going to be a little bit limited with the things that you can say about a pencil. So even the more straightforward or less regulated categories can be challenging in a different way just because you have to get uh, particularly creative when it comes to thinking about ways of positioning them. So how, how do you, like in, a, in your pencil example, how do you make a boring product fun and interesting? Is it by using me, humor? Is it by what, what, how do you make a, how, yeah, how do you do that? Yeah. So I think that's when it becomes really helpful to lean into who your brand is, like who you're trying to be as a business and also who your customer is. So if you're just trying to come out with a pencil, it's probably going to be really challenging to uh, beat I can't think of what pencil brands are. Bic, maybe. I, they, I think maybe they make pencils. I, it's been a while since I bought a pencil, if I'm honest. Uh, so if you're just going after the general pencil market, it might be very difficult to gain traction, you know, because people have their pencils of choice that they've had for years, and they're probably buying those same pencils over and over and over again. But if you have a pencil and maybe it's, really fantastic for people that are um, wanting to sketch images that they take a picture of and then create AI art off of. Because maybe there's something about that that it captures the image really well when you take a picture of it. Maybe that could be an interesting way of, of um, sort of positioning it. And the fact is, is that that pencil might be made of the exact same thing as all the other pencils, and it might do the exact same thing as all the other pencils, but it's just that none of those other pencils are really leaning into this more specific uh, kind of niche and direction. And it's one of those things where when you're shopping, when you have your customer hat on, sometimes when you don't see that, uh, that a a company is saying that their product does this thing, even if you assume that it does, you can kind of have second thoughts about whether it is in fact going to be a good fit for you and what you need. And so being able to kind of almost create a new product subcategory can be a really fantastic way of gaining traction in a more crowded and more generic kind of space. And then eventually over the time, you can expand that out. So it's not like, okay, if you're only going after people that are looking to uh, create um, AI art, then, you know, how big is that market really? And how much, how much success can you really have? But 
if you really win over that market, then you can begin to kind of expand outwards and capture more and more people, maybe people that are just uh, intrigued by this new futuristic world that we're moving into and want something that seems like it's uh, current or cool or, you know, not everybody is purchasing things because they're actually the target market. They might aspire to be that target market. But what do you do when you sit down to write about your pencil and you're like, huh, my brain is just not, I'm just not in the zone right now. What do you do? Do you set it aside and come back to it? Or do you have a methodology to like get that creative process and those juices going? Or what's, what's, what, what do you do around that? Well, there are a lot of things that you can do. You know, we're a business that we have deadlines and we promise people that we're going to get work to them by a certain time. So we don't have the luxury of just kind of saying, you know, today is not the day. I think I'll come back to this tomorrow, regardless of whether you have the the creative, uh, you know, muse with you or not. You just have to do it. And and honestly, that's also just what it means to be a, a professional uh, doing any kind of more artistic endeavor is you don't wait for the muse, but sometimes the muse comes once you've started and sometimes every single word is a slog. So things you can do, we've already talked about a few of those going places like the reviews and social media can be great to stimulate the mind. We also have some new tools out there now. So we have tools that are fantastic for ideation. So if you're feeling stuck and you're not sure, uh, how to phrase something, or you're um, not sure about, you know, even why someone would care about this thing. Um, I'm sure probably the majority of you that are listening to this have heard something about chat GPT or these different AI tools that are out there. And I think one of the easiest places to get started with these tools is to use them for, uh, ideation and and getting those creative juices flowing. It takes more skill and refinement to be able to start to use those tools to actually create things, but something that almost anybody can become proficient at really quickly is going to one of those tools and asking, you know, why why would somebody want this product or what are the most common objections to this product and then how can I respond to those objections to make them uh, you know to turn them into uh, reasons why somebody should should buy this now you're talking about AI here in chat GPT some people say you know I saw a list uh, recently here's the top 10 professions that are going to go away because of AI and one of those was like writers uh, but but what you you're saying is that, yeah, it may take some some jobs away, but it's actually going to make your job e- easier and better in some ways. Because if you know how to harness the tool, know how to do the prompts correctly, it can help you when you're in one of these mind slumps, or it can help you maybe see things that you you don't see, and because it can go out there and just analyze basically everything that uh, you know super fast. So how do you see? AI affecting what you do. You know, it's the hot rage right now where people are using it. You know, all the all the tools pretty much out there in the Amazon space are either have or are about to incorporate where we'll write some of your titles for you or write your bullet points. Maybe you're not a native English speaker and this will help you clean up stuff. But what are 
how are you seeing that AI is going to truly affect what you do and what we do as Amazon sellers? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one that I've been thinking a lot about, both because, uh, you know, this is what I have a business doing. And so I think any smart business owner, really, with whatever you're doing right now, I think it's very important to be considering what the impacts of AI are going to be on the world and how that might impact your business. So there are the more obvious ones like copywriting, for example, or graphic design where we can, or translating, where you can clearly see the evolution happening in real time with the way that those industries are changing. But this is going to have profound effects uh, throughout all parts of our society. And I think that this is really sort of just the beginning of, of a large change. And so do I think that it's going to eradicate the need for copywriters? No. I think what copywriting is, however, is fundamentally changing. And I think it actually becomes that if the, the, the playing field is getting leveled, so people that weren't good writers or didn't have, um, you know, native English are going to pe- be able to create something uh, much better than what they were able to before. So there's that first layer of things. So I think that the competition is going to get much fiercer in that in that respect because everybody is going to have the ability to have have an, a higher set point. So then I think what it really becomes is having that strong understanding of the craft, what good looks like, how to creatively position, and how to use all of these tools to help um, streamline, to help analyze things, and to help sort of turbocharge these skills that you already have. I don't know if I'm fully articulating this idea to um, in the way that that I that I'm imagining it in my head but essentially it becomes that the copywriter is not necessarily doing all of the writing but they need to know where they're aiming at they need to understand what good looks like they need to be able to think really strategically about how to um, position things if they're able to engineer really great prompts that are going to create even better outcomes than what the average person is using. All of those things are going to be to their advantage. So I see it. Um, I see it as more of a, I think some copywriters are going to lose their jobs to chat GPT, yeah. but they're going to have to evolve with it. And like you say, you know, they, they're going to need to become an editor. I think, you know, one of the things we were recently together at an AI conference and one of the th- big big uh, pushes there was uh, these sub- uh, email subscription models uh, where you're taking a subject matter and you're creating this this email that goes out daily that kind of summarizes all the news or the latest and the greatest things about that. And that, that's a hot trend right now. And they're using AI to go out and find a lot of this stuff and, and to write it. But you still need an editor at the end of the day that's going to actually look through that. That's a writer, that's a more advanced writer that's actually going to look through that and, and say, ah, oh, this wasn't quite right. You know, they gave an example of did it live at this AI conference um, where someone said, throw out a topic. And they said, you know, it was one of the recent uh, shootings at, at, a, at a school, one of the sad cases. And 
they told the AI, they, they gave it a link to, to like a, a recent article and said, uh, please summarize this, this article or what happened here. I forget the exact wording. And so really quickly, it came back and it actually spit out several paragraphs of a kind of a summary. But as and it looked good. And then someone in the audience was looking up and like, wait a second, paragraph three there, it says this, this and this happened. I live in that town. Or I, uh, and that's not what happened. And so some of this AI stuff hallucinates when it'll, it'll just make up stuff. And I had that happen. I think I gave you this example when I was playing around with GPT a few months ago when it first came out. I told it to rewrite one of my listings for a slow feed dog bowl. And I was like, let me just see what it does and say, create me five bullet points and rewrite the description. And it did some beautiful work. A lot of it was like really cool and well, well done. But as I started reading like the fourth bullet point, it actually says something to the effect of uh, these slow feed dog bowls are awesome. We use it for our dinner as well in our house. Uh, you know, and it, 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 you got you to gotta watch it. So I think it's a great, like you said, it's a great tool to help you ideate and to help you refine and to help you get more information. Because you can go in and you can type, you know, what are the five biggest pain points uh, people have when they buy a new pencil? And it's going to come back and tell you. It's going to analyze a whole bunch of stuff way faster than you ever could and tell you. So I think using it as a tool and, and writers are going to have to evolve and the people that are going to be good are the people that are good at prompt engineering. And just like, like you said on creating images, there's people creating some amazing artwork using Midjourney and Dali and some of the other image tools. And there's a lot of people that are just, they try it and like, that looks like, that looks like junk. Um, and it's all in the prompt engineering. And so that's, I think that's going to be where writers will need to shift is like learning how to talk to the computer to get what the desired result. Yeah. Do, you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that completely. So I think that that's kind of the baseline. And then the second piece of that is also having a really strong understanding of whatever your uh, expertise is, because you also have to understand what you're aiming for, what is good versus not good. How can you, you know, like when we were at this workshop, they were even showing how you can have you know, you can, you can prompt it to write in different styles of copywriters or to follow different frameworks, but you have to have an understanding of when would you want that style of writing versus this style of writing or that, uh, you know, particular framework versus this other one. And so I think in some ways, that's knowing your, that's knowing your avatar, right? I mean, that's knowing your avatar. So you can say, write this listing, write me five bullet points about this pencil in the style of a, a mom who has two fifth graders and a third grader or, or something like that, and it will do it. But you need to know that avatar uh, before right. you can do that. Otherwise, you'll get something completely different. Right. And so it, it really, I think, is something that can turbocharge the skills of the people that really know their stuff. And I agree with you. Like this if something that, you know, maybe you needed a huge staff of writers to be creating, you need far fewer. I have a friend who's a translator and she used to live in France and worked for a translation firm. And, you know, it was a lot of people, they were doing uh, luxury translations for all the high-end French brands. And then 
her industry totally shifted. And this was actually a couple of years ago that it started shifting with some of these really sophisticated uh, translation AI tools. And so her job, even though she has a master's degree, she's, you know, highly skilled in translation, her job became editing the translations that the AI generated. And so just like you said, it puts you more into an editor role, into a curation role, and into sort of having that uh, big picture strategy in mind, and then how can you execute it with the assistance of these tools to make you hyper-efficient? What do you think? Uh, a lot of Amazon sellers think this is the the holy grail. Like, I don't need to hire an agency, and I don't speak very good English. Now I can just use my tool of choice to actually write whatever I want. Are you think you're going to see a lot of very similar listings coming out? A lot of, even though it's written well, it's not it's not selling well. It's people just are using this as a, as a, as a shortcut and thinking that they're doing great work and when they're really not. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot of that. We're probably already seeing a lot of that. I think, you know, um, I think the people that are on Fiverr are probably really feeling a big, uh, impact of all of this in particular. I've, looked at the majority, if not all of the Amazon specific AI uh, listing generators that have come out over the last few months. And I, I haven't felt particularly um, impressed by any of the ones that I've taken a look at. And a big part of that is because the really exciting things that I've seen with the AI generation comes when you start iterating on things and when you get really specific and when you develop that avatar and then have it right to that avatar. And a lot of these tools are really kind of um, drag and drop. So it's like put in your competitors and then we'll write a listing or you know something along those lines. And so there aren't enough inputs or enough space for iteration to really be able to create something uh, of impact, let alone the fact that none of these tools that I've seen seem to be uh, trained on all of the different rules that you have to be aware of when selling on Amazon. So, you know, we talked about categories that might be more or less difficult to um to, to sell in. And so you might unintentionally be using words that could get your, your listing suppressed or um, saying something that is not compliant with FDA or all of those other things. So yes, these tools can, can really give you a good starting point perhaps, or help give you some new ideas. But you do want to make sure that whatever you're getting from them you do not want to just go and directly upload those to Amazon without having professional oversight of that or a really just slow, meticulous eye on them. Because as you mentioned, Kevin, they can make weird conclusions about <laughs> things, they can hallucinate, but also they might just, even if none of those things happen, they could just be sort of saying something they shouldn't or um, assuming something about your product that isn't actually true. And then what happens? You're, you create an opening for negative customer experiences, negative reviews, more hassle, more returns, more costs. And so can this speed it up? Absolutely. Is this something that can, if, if you're short on budget, make something that's, you know, 
pretty passable, 100%. Is there still value in working with people that really understand this stuff and are going to be taking the time to utilize these tools to the best of their ability so that you get something that is, you know, still um, smoking all of your competitors? My opinion is yes, of course, you know, this is my business. And so my opinion is going to, to, to have that bias kind of implicit, implicitly cooked into it. But that's my perspective. Awesome. I love it. Emma, this has uh, been great chatting with you today. If people want to learn more about you or reach out to you to get a little helping hand with any of this, how would they do that? Yeah, you can find us at marketingbyemma.com uh, or across all of the other places. I think we're pretty much everywhere, but our website has our phone number and links to and contact forms and all of that stuff. Uh, we also offer a free listing analysis. So if you're like, I don't know if my listing is good, you know, I used one of these tools to create it. I think it looks pretty good, but now I'm having second thoughts. Uh, fill out the, the free analysis form and we'd be happy to take a look at your listing and give you some feedback. Awesome. That's, that's incredible. And that's great. Well, Emma, I really appreciate it again, taking the time today, and I look forward to seeing you uh, the next time I'm in Vegas for some sort of conference, or who knows, maybe you'll actually get on a plane and travel to a conference yourself uh, uh, sometime in the future, but I'm, I'm sure we'll be uh, seeing each other somewhere. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kevin. This was great. Thanks. Great stuff, as always, from Emma. And don't forget the Billion Dollar Seller Summit is happening in just a few weeks and also, if you're coming to SellerCon on uh, June 1st to the 3rd in Austin, make sure you check my Facebook feed for a party that I'm hosting uh, there on uh, June 1st. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be really, really cool. Another great episode will be coming your way next week. But before you go, here's your weekly words of wisdom. Remember that one day you'll wake up and there won't be any more time to do the things you've always wanted to do. So do them now. One day you're going to wake up and there won't be any more time to do the things you've always wanted. So do it now. See you again next week.